Welcome to Eat, Capture, Share, the podcast for food bloggers, food lovers, and everyone in between. My name is Kimberly. I'm your host. Episode 17. Welcome back, everybody, to the Eat, Capture, Share podcast. My name is Kimberly Espinel. I'm a food photographer food photography teacher. I'm the author of the Amazon bestselling book, Creative Food Photography. And of course, I am the podcaster here at Eat, Capture, Share. Now, I need to start with an apology. And that's because I ended the last podcast episode saying I'll be back same time, same place next week. And then I didn't come back. And in fact, I haven't been back for over two weeks. So I'm so sorry about that. It has been just a really crazy, busy period here behind the scenes. So, you know, the the break wasn't planned and um, it's just been, it's been wild. It's been a little bit of a wild, exciting, fun, (laughs) busy ride, but I am back this week and super excited about it and committed to continue being on a nice, lovely roll until we end the season after 10 episodes of this season. But really, this leads very nicely into some bits and pieces I wanted to tell you about and talk to you about before introducing you to today's podcast episode, which is all about imposter syndrome. In these last two weeks where I've had to take a break from the podcast, it's actually coincided and collided with a period that where I always do a little bit of of soul searching. So for me, October, November, December of every year, I would say are the three most important months. And then after that, January, because unlike other people, I don't start January with like, I'm going to change this, this, and this, or, you know, these are my goals or whatever. That thinking process already starts for me in October. And what I do is I look back at the nine months that have been and what has worked and what ha- what hasn't worked and what my goals were and if I met them, if I haven't met them, what I can do to reach them. And then also looking ahead at things that I need to let go of and things that I need to lean into and then use October, November, December to lay the foundation to kind of plant the seeds as it were so that when January starts, which I take really seriously, like the start of the year for me, that whole symbolism about starting afresh and starting anew, like I've always just felt really deeply connected to that, that idea. So it means that when January comes, when the, the bells ring, as it were, and 1st of January rolls in, everything is in place. Like everything is just right for me to hit the ground running and achieve the things that I want to achieve. And for 2021, I had some really, really, really big goals. And I achieved them all bar one, which is I wanted to sell 5,000 copies of my book, Creative Food Photography. And we're so close, but we're not quite there yet. Like I'm going to need these next couple of, I don't know, eight, nine, 10 weeks that I have left of the year to make that happen. But everything else has come to fruition, has come true. And I know that this laying the land, this setting myself up as I approach the start of the year has really helped make that possibility. And that got me thinking as well as 
you know, you all so lovely emailing me and asking me about mentorship and that kind of thing. So what I've done is I've released a handful of one-to-one mentoring sessions called Your Best Year Yet. And the idea of those mentoring sessions is to look back at what you've done this year, this last couple of nine months, what's working, what's not working, and then put together an action plan that will allow you to hit the ground running as we start January. So that could be about your food photography goals. It could also be, and that's really what I'd love to support you with around earning an income through your food, your food photography, your food styling, that kind of thing. So it's got more of a business slant, but of course, looking at your work will be part of that, but really nailing down what your goals are and what steps you need to take to make them come to fruition. That's what this mentorship is for. So it's just one hour, a power hour. And I think there are three spots left as I, as I share this, because I've already shared it with my mailing list and those on the waiting list. But if you feel that you'd love to kind of step into action in 2022, if you'd love to move from doing food photography as a hobby to making it something more serious, or if in fact you've already made that decision and you're working as a food photographer or food blogger and it's not quite happening yet for you, then definitely check out this power hour, this offer. And um, yeah, I hope, I hope it's for you. For myself, I know that there's a lot of things that have worked this year that I'm so, so, so excited about, but there's also certain things that are holding me back and stopping me from taking that next step forward to continue to grow the little plantation, to continue to grow the podcast. And You know, growth always means that there's also something that you have to leave behind. And for me, I feel that I need to close the chapter on the Eat, Capture, Share challenge, at least for the next 12 months. So that said, there's going to be the very last one, the start of 2022. So the, the winter challenge will take place. And then I'm going to give myself a whole year off and see if a letting go of that allows me to lean into the things that I really, really want to do. I'm, you know, I, I always practice what I preach. So for myself, I'm also working with a mentor. I found a new mentor. I'm very, very excited to be working with him and embarking on a 12-month mentorship program with him and being part of a mastermind. And that feels very scary because it's, I was saying (laughs) to one of my friends, like the payment for that is more than for my down payment for our house. So it's like a big deal. But I know that that's the next step for me, A, to allow the little plantation to grow into what it needs to be and be to show up as a better mentor for you, a better podcaster, a better teacher. And yeah, I'm super excited about it. And in my bones, I feel that it's right. So I'm going to start that so that when 2022 kicks off, I'm, I'm ready. I've got my trainers, I've got my, you know, little runner's outfit and I'm ready to hit the ground running and make that, you know, the marathon uh, a success. So that's what I'm, I'm doing. I'll talk more about what all is happening as we move further along this 
podcast season. But for now, just wanted to let you know that if you did want to pre-register for the winter challenge, I will pop a link to that in the show notes. And also, if you're interested in that power hour, your best year yet, and want to use the techniques and principles to achieve your goals and work towards them, gain clarity and action plan and monetize your passion for food and food photography and food blogging, then be sure to check them out. They're the last ones for this year. And then the mentorship program, the six month mentorship program opens in the spring. So this is a great way to, you know, get a kickstart as it were. And um, yeah, I'd love to hear from you. Right. I would love to tell you a little bit more about today's podcast episode. And it's all about imposter syndrome. And I had the idea of inviting uh, Yesmi onto the podcast after working with my mentorees this year, as a matter of fact. And all of them, all my mentorees, and I hope they're listening, all my mentorees are incredibly talented women, like insanely talented. Yet so, so many of them really struggle with imposter syndrome. And I thought that was wild. Like here you have incredible talent and yet they battle with this. And I battle with it too. So I popped to the store and picked up Dr. Jessamy's book called The Imposter Cure and kind of devoured it from start to finish pretty quickly. It's really riveting and so many things in there that I could relate to or that I had seen in my mentorees and also my food photography students. And I knew I had to get her onto the podcast so that she could share her message on what imposter syndrome is why we have it, and also how we can manage it in a way that it doesn't stop us from doing the things we so, so, so want to do. So I don't want to give too much away. It's a really, really lovely and uplifting episode, and I hope it brings you joy and insight and allows you to understand yourself better as well and then manage this so it doesn't hold you back. I do have to say we had some sound issues in that I had a phone call in the middle of the, the the podcast episode and you can hear that and some other noise and other bits and pieces, but it's really worth tuning into this despite the audio issues. And um, yeah, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Destiny, I am super excited to have you on the show. I know who you are because I read your latest book, but if there's anyone tuning in who hasn't come across your work, Please introduce yourself. Well, thank you for having me on the show. Um, I'm a clinical psychologist and I work one-to-one with people who experience common mental health problems like anxiety or depression. And alongside that, I also have written some books. As when I was training, I realized that the ideas I was learning about were really useful and I wanted to find a way to make them accessible to more people. And my most recent book is The Imposter Cure. Fantastic. Great. Thank you. Now, I know that when I was growing up, the term imposter syndrome, I'd never heard of it. I know from your book, it's been around for a long time, but I've never come across it. And it feels like it's something that is just now entering into our vocabulary. And I'd love to start maybe by you explaining what it actually really means. Um, well, like you say, it was a phenomenon that was first described back in 1978 by two clinical psychologists, Dr. Clance and Dr. Immis. But I agree with you. I think it's more come into our kind of conscious awareness, really only in the last few years, in a way that people are starting to know about it and understand it. And even 
you know, even in response to writing the book, lots of people said to me, I, I had no idea that's what it was. Now I've got a name for this thing that's been going on for me. And essentially it is a kind of faulty belief. So people who experience imposter syndrome don't believe that they deserve their success. They have this persistent belief in their lack of ability, skills or competence, despite loads of evidence to the contrary. And the reason I see it as a faulty belief is because it's almost like when you're trying for something new or doing something out of your comfort zone, you get this feeling inside you. And that's a really normal feeling. Like we all experience that. But people who experience imposter syndrome imagine they shouldn't feel like that. And that's a sign that they're not up to it or there's something wrong or they're a fraud in some ways. Mm. And they feel like that means they're just waiting to be found out rather than realizing that actually that's a normal feeling we all get it no one feels totally secure in themselves and it really just means you care about what you're doing and you want to do well with it and why do we feel this feeling like why does this come up is there some sort of evolutionary reason behind it is it something that's just evolved since social media has existed or or like what is it why is it there I think that both those things play a part in it mm-hmm. and that in evolutionary terms, you know, we're kind of programmed to be able to detect threat. And so we're always on the alert, you know, from our caveman days in terms of fight or flight. And whilst we don't need it anymore because we're not going to be attacked, you know, hopefully, and um, we're not going to be chased by tigers, we still got that inbuilt into us. And that means having insecurity and self-doubt because that was a way to kind of check things out and a way to get on well in the group and it also means kind of being on the alert to these things and social media I agree definitely feeds into it as well because we all kind of share these polished feeds where it's all put together really nicely and we think about what we say and as much as we know everybody's doing that in our heads it feels like they've got it together and we haven't got a clue what we're doing and we're comparing our insides with other people's outsides But I guess the research shows as well that it can often stem from a feeling of not being good enough and that it's connected to things like perfectionism, feeling different to the core group. So that means that you kind of feel like you're underrepresented or different to the norm, whether it's gender, race, sexual identity, socioeconomic status or having a disability. And I think also when it wasn't what was expected of you or what you expected of yourself. Mm. And, And once you've got that belief, unfortunately our brains like to prove beliefs right so it's not like you just have this idea and then you kind of go into the world and investigate it it's that you believe that to be true and you collect information that supports it Mm. and so imposters have to have different rules for when things go well and when things go badly so if it goes well it's down to external circumstances like luck or the team or Mm. good timing whereas anything that goes wrong it's like a personal failing and completely down to you So you never really connect your success and have a chance to change this view of yourself. I was wondering, is there a way that we can distinguish between imposter syndrome and also between when our body, mind, spirit is telling us that we're taking on something bigger than than we're ready for? Like, how can we distinguish between what is real and what is this imposter syndrome trying to protect us or misleading us or however you want to see it yeah I think it's really hard sometimes Mm. because imposter syndrome is really convincing and I had this really lovely email from someone recently who said you know I picked up your book and I read it but 
I knew that I had imposter syndrome and I thought everybody else just thought they had it. So when you have it, you don't, that's, that's part of the problem. You really think that you are an imposter. It's not that you just feel like one, it's that you truly believe you are and you live in a way that prevents you from ever being found out, you know, overworking, kind of yeah. doing all these things to keep that secret that feels like this shameful secret away from everybody else. So when it comes to doing things out of your comfort zone, I think in part it's thinking about it in terms of, you know, is this that I am not doing this because of fear? You know, if I think about, you know, if somebody gave me this opportunity, I wasn't worried about being found out. I wasn't worried that I wasn't good enough. Would I say yes to it? Mm-hmm. And I think it's also thinking, you know, what are my reasons for not doing it? So have I got a good reason for not doing it? Like I've got loads on at the moment. It feels like one too many things and, I've challenged myself in lots of ways recently and I don't need another challenge, which is completely, you know, fair enough. Or is it that it feels like too much pressure or that you might be exposed and looking at the kind of detail of the why? And I also think like sometimes it's helpful to put it outside yourself. So saying, Mm -hmm. if my friend said to me, I've got this opportunity, what would I say to her? And being able to think about it from a perspective that isn't you can sometimes be a good way to work out whether it's right or not. Gotcha. Now, a lot of the people who listen to this podcast, not everyone, like I've got lots of male listeners as well, but I would say the vast majority are women. And I've always wondered if women experience this more or is it is that, you know, a wrong perception and it's something that crosses genders and religions and, and race or is it something that is really felt more by women? I think that it affects everybody mm-hmm. and the research shows you know over 70 percent of people have experienced it and that uh, it doesn't discriminate so whether it's gender race you know whether you're a student or a ceo it it, it, it gets everybody but when they first discovered it they felt that it was something just experienced by women and research even in you know only a couple of years ago they did some research and they did find that women experience imposter related thoughts about 70 percent of them experience it or kind of just over two-thirds and for men it was 50 percent in the last year who'd experienced imposter related thoughts so there is a difference in gender but sometimes it's hard to know if that's because women are more likely to talk about it um, and how when it's kind of um, data that people are asking a question you know is it is the difference as big as that or not I would I would guess it was I'd love to just tap into one more thing that we talked about and then you know that I'd love to go a little bit deeper on if that's okay and that's in relation to social media because you know I was speaking to somebody yesterday and they were saying that you know a lot of times that's this thing about fake it till you make it and you know showing yourself off in the, in the best possible way and my question is could we still do that in a positive kind of way, or is that kind of fake it till you make it really destructive? And, and does that enhance our feelings of imposter syndrome? I think I think there's a lot of merit in fake it till you make it, and that it's about kind of believing you can do it and mm. giving yourself the confidence to try it. Yeah. And I think there's good stuff in doing that. But I suppose I would hold it alongside a more realistic view of what it means to be human. And, you know, I think when you're younger, you imagine when you're growing up, you'll have it all together, you'll know what you're doing. And in a way, that kind of idea that we should have everything sorted and never experience self-doubt, I think it can feed into those things. So the idea that, well, I don't fully know what I'm doing. Am I okay to do this? It feels like 
maybe I'm not okay to do this, instead of realizing that nobody really knows what they're doing when they first start on things. That's yeah. one of the kind of great things about life, trying new things, exploring new stuff. And if you can do that in a way that isn't expecting yourself to get it right first time or do it perfectly, then it lets you do it in a much better way. And I think it's, I don't know, to me, it's also realizing that being an adult isn't someone who knows it all or never feels vulnerable. It's somebody who is still insecure at times and, you know, still not sure of themselves at times, but that that's not a weakness, but that's a strength, really, you know, and that you don't always have to be on your best form, working extra hard, doing everything all the time, because no one feels like that all of the time and perhaps part of it you know and especially with things like social media is recognizing that polished turned out end result is I don't know one tenth of the story of what 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 led to that point yeah it's really interesting because I noticed that when I share my achievements people love it and they're really encouraging and you know it's something that inspires them but a lot of the times when I share my struggles or you know any troubles that I've had Often I find those posts resonate the most and it kind of ties in with what you're saying that because it, I'm showing myself as a more rounded, real human being. Yeah. And that just a lot of the times it's just what people can relate to so much more. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. Mm-hmm. And that that is, you know, I think you've, I think you've captured it so well because as much as we love hearing from people and seeing all the things that are going well for them, we want that to be part of our relationship with them yeah. without the vulnerability and without the struggles and the difficult parts, it's much harder to relate. Yeah. And as much as like, you know, I'm in my forties now, I'm a mother of three, my life's massively different to when I was younger. I don't mm-hmm. feel massively different every day in terms of what I know of myself and what I, you know, how I feel like. And sometimes it's just remembering that that's, that's a shared experience rather than you know something only I'm going through yeah now I'd love to know you know as as creatives who share their work online who have to be on Instagram Facebook you know all these public platforms sharing our work how can we do so and how can we move through and grow as creatives whilst managing imposter syndrome do you have I feel you've shared already but I don't know if we can go a little bit deeper maybe three or five practical ways of navigating a creative life a creative life online whilst while still you know having imposter syndrome three ways or five ways that we can do that and manage it successfully when it comes to working creatively I think that if you think about work, a lot of your sense of self is tied to work, but that's mm-hmm. even more so in a creative industry as so much of you goes into your work. And that can make it feel really vulnerable. Yeah. And that can mean that if you do get any negative feedback, you know, it's much harder to let go of because it feels more personal. And particularly if you're already a bit insecure, then those things are much harder to let go of. So in a way, it's understanding why it feels like that. You know, just that in itself can be helpful. But I think the second part of that is finding a way to externalize the imposter voice. Mm. And I know it sounds a bit strange, but it's knowing that that voice that tells you you're not good enough or that people are going to not be impressed by what you're sharing or, you know, the kind of bullying words that imposter syndrome says, it's knowing that's not your voice. That's the voice of your fears. And when you start to distance yourself from it and see that you don't have to go along with everything it says and that it hasn't got your best interest in mind, 
um, it's much easier to bring in a more compassionate voice instead. And really that compassion is like the perfect antidote to self-critical and perfectionistic thinking. And it's almost just reminding yourself of that idea we've talked about already. You know, your, your thoughts aren't facts. Mm. It's, it's worth kind of questioning them sometimes or seeing, does this have my best interest, you know, in mind? And I suppose in terms of sharing things, I think it's also remembering that we put ourselves under so much more scrutiny than we would ever put anybody else under. And I was having a chat about this with one of my clients yesterday who, who, who shares stuff online. And this idea that it can feel so exposing to have something online that feels quite permanent and is sharing a part of you. But when you think about how you look at other people's content or, you know, mm. if you're listening to something that other people have shared, it's never with that same level of scrutiny that you would look at it for yourself. You're generally taking it on board, interested to hear what's being said. And I think that the idea that you, you know, it comes back to the idea in a way that no one is going to be as critical or as detailed in their look at you as, as you would be yourself. And just knowing that really makes a difference mm -hmm. and I kind of think like I don't know if it makes sense but I think about it you know when people look through photographs and they kind of look through look through it and then there's one of them and they stop on that one yeah and it's just this difference in how we take in information for others compared to how we take it in for ourselves yeah and and then I suppose the, the last one I'd say and there's lots more strategies in the book but um is that it's so important to connect to your success as actually we spend so much time concentrating on what's not working or what we're worried about or what we feel hasn't gone as well. We're not spending the same energy repeating and replaying and thinking about in our mind all the stuff that is going well. And the biggest part of overcoming imposter syndrome is updating that belief, which, is, which isn't right, you know, and it's, and it's not helpful. And so that you see all that you've done and can connect to it and think about it and start to see yourself differently. And I think that when I do that with people in my clinic, I do it in a really kind of concrete way of getting them to write down mm. anything and everything that comes to mind around their achievements and successes and personal happiness, whether it's what you do, whether it's exams and qualifications, whether it's compliments from friends and family, difficult situations you've overcome. It, it doesn't matter how big or small, it's just getting all of it on paper mm. before your mind has a chance to discredit it. And actually, even coming back to it and building on it and doing it over kind of several days or several weeks because once you start to let that bit open up it lets your mind be like oh yeah you know and I was so pleased about that and actually I did do that and it gives all those things airtime that generally we give kind of five seconds to. Yeah I have spoken about this on the podcast actually uh, this season that this year I started a gratitude practice and for me that's not just about all oh, the sun is shining or whatever sometimes that's it but sometimes it's also about i achieve this or achieve that and it's been really helpful because if not you just get on with your day and you forget those little things that you did do even if yeah. they're just tiny things you know um, yeah i don't know if that kind of if that's what you're suggesting i do it daily yeah i find that really helpful if yeah yeah, but, yeah. i think it's such a good thing to do and that it's almost like doing a past CV and then mm. I love what you're doing because that's a way to keep it going. And that's yeah. something I would definitely recommend to people in terms of just spending a bit of time each day to note things down. And what's interesting is I get people to tell me it, you know, and read mm. them out when they come into the clinic. And often people go for it and they're like, oh, I forgot about that, you mm. know, and they're kind of going through it. And 
oh yes because we're so even writing it down you still can your mind's so quick to forget it yeah. and I think it's almost like allowing yourself to see the full picture of your life rather mm. than just the parts that you're unhappy with yeah and that that is a practice and there's something like there's something in all of us that feels like oh you know like it feels a bit wrong to think about all the stuff I'm good at or to think about the things I'm mm. happy with or to you know like there's something inherent in our culture or the way yes. that we're built but actually you're not I'm not it's not saying write down the list Kimberly and tell everybody about it it's just saying <laughs> really take time to reflect on those things and think about them because I think that they're so important to know about yourself and also there's always other stuff going on that is difficult or that is hard you never mm. know how life's going so to have those moments within it where you're really in touch with those things I think is really important now, before we move on to talk about your book, because I would love to spend a little bit of time on that, there's something else that you said at the very start of our conversation around comparing your insides and how you feel and your thoughts and your emotions and, and what have you with other people's polished, perfect outsides. And mm. so, you know, again, for us creatives, as we're on Instagram, <laughs> more time than we care to admit, how can we? keep that comparison element at bay because that's obviously often you know feeding that imposter syndrome voice do you have any thoughts or, or tips around that sorry to be interrupting your podcast experience but did you know that my book creative food photography is now available full of inspiring content ideas for finding your style up leveling your food styling and taking your composition to the next level you can find out more at thelittleplantation.co.uk forward slash food hyphen photography hyphen book or find the link to all you need in the show notes. Thank you so much for your support. And now back to the podcast. Yeah, I think that the big thing is knowing that you're just seeing them outwardly and that almost like turning around if they just saw you, that day or your content that you're sharing online they would be coming to a similar view in terms of you know they've got it together it's all they know what they're doing and that you're not remembering that the only thing you hear is your own insecurities and your own doubts and that you don't hear that of other people and I think that just remembering that can be really helpful in itself because we're all I love that you know like the idea that we're all like swans gliding along but actually furiously paddling underneath Mm. And I think part of it is like you said earlier today, when you start to share a bit more of yourself and you start to share the, you know, the not so good stuff as well as the good stuff, or you share the um, kind of progression and the number of times it took you to get to that end result, it allows there to be another conversation around, I guess, how things go and the mistakes that happen along the way and what we can learn from those things and that most of us don't get it right first time and that the times we do, it's like you know that's more unusual than usual mm -hmm. so opening up the conversation can definitely help but I suppose also remembering that when we compare we we often compare upwardly so we compare to like a few people that we can pick out and probably not all of them like just certain parts that we're not doing as well on and we cherry pick all their good bits and compare it to all our bad bits and we never kind of think about how we're doing based on I don't know where we started with all of it and you know sometimes I think I really like the idea of what would your 18 year old self say about where you are now, you know, or if you knew, if you were looking at all the stuff that you do as an outsider, 
how would you feel about what you're doing? Because I guess ultimately it's not so much about managing comparison. It's about having that kind of internal measure of how you're doing and an mm-hmm. internal way to reassure yourself and remind yourself that actually, you know, you're doing all right. I love that. Thank you so much. Jessamy, I'd love to ask really how the idea for the book came about. Why did you write it? And why did you write it now? And I mean, it feels like it came at the perfect time, but I'd love to to hear a little bit more about the behind the scenes of the book, so to say. Yeah, well, in my clinic, I was working with lots of people who, you know, were outwardly incredibly successful and, you know, by all appearances were doing really well. But inwardly, I started to notice that often they would really doubt themselves or they'd say to me, you know, I'm just waiting for it all to go wrong or this idea of kind of being found out or exposed. And it got me really interested in understanding what was going on. And they'd say things to me like, you know, once this project's out of the way or once I get this promotion or when I get this weekend over with, I know I'll be fine. And initially I'd be like, okay, great. You know, so they're, they're going to feel better. But I noticed with this population that it made no difference. Mm. And that often they'd say, oh, now they expect even more of me. And I feel like I've got further to fall. And that actually, you know, now they're really going to be looking closer. And I've got, got so much to hide. And I guess it just, I found it really interesting. And it just kept coming up again and again. But I could also start to relate to it personally as well. Mm-hmm. And even when I went in to kind of talk about the book and things, I remember so clearly having this moment. We were in like this glass office you know so there's kind of the loads of people walking by and stuff and I was sitting in there chatting about it all and it's the first time that I was writing a book on my own I'd written a book with somebody before mm. and just having that moment thinking my goodness they think I know what I'm talking about and <laughs> why do they think I've got the experience to do this you know I'd always think to myself I'm not an author I just am a psychologist who's interested in writing about stuff and the woman you know my lovely editor she was like so we're thinking 60,000 words and I just remember like smiling and like, okay, great. But inwardly screaming, six, 60,000 words. <laughs> so it was almost like something that I could personally see too. And as I investigated it and unwrapped it, it was so much more than just this kind of feeling of being found out or mm-hmm. feeling like a fraud. It was tied up to insecurity and self-doubt, perfectionism, you know, comparison like we've talked about, not yeah. being able to kind of celebrate your achievements. It was, it was this kind of web of things that, all came onto into my work and into my own life um and it was just it was such an interesting book to write both personally mm-hmm. and professionally mm-hmm. you know as you were speaking I'm, i was shaking my head <laughs> the whole time and i also you know was just wondering if there's also part of the hustle culture that we currently are living through where you know you're only as good as your last achievement or you know that was yesterday and you know like this kind of pressure and build and grow and scale and you know like it's always never enough and um yeah it just made me think of that that there's always these new challenges that we set for ourselves which is in a way good but also it means and especially because it's so fast-paced it almost means like you can't actually just let the experience you just had that new achievement really sink in you know yeah yeah I completely agree with you because the it what you've described is that you have that moment but there's no time to celebrate it because there's three other things that you've got to do next and probably not only that suddenly you've moved the goalposts of okay well I thought that was what would get me there but actually 
when I've done this. And also because there's not like, I, it's something I talk about in my TEDx talk actually, that I, I used to wait for this like dramatic change where I'd be mm. like, right, this is it now. Now I'm at the point where things are straightforward and easy. But what you realize is, yeah, our culture is completely set up to make us feel like we should be always busy, constantly switched on. There's always more to be done. Yeah. And yet, I, I guess the older I've got, the more I've seen that those things don't make the big difference that you think they will. Mm. And the only person that kind of can, can really change all of that is, is us in terms mm. of recognizing how precious our time is and that the one thing we can't buy is time. Yeah. But also starting to give ourselves permission to do what is right for us, because that's something else I recognize in the book. You know, when you're driving yourself and have these high standards, it, it isn't ever enough. It's almost slightly addictive because you get yeah. this validation, you feel better about yourself, but you're also driving yourself into the ground. Yeah. And you're worked, you know, overworked, no kind of real space to enjoy it. And often we start these things. And again, I think particularly for creators, it's like a passion and something that you mm. love doing. And when you live by society standards of, you know, that you should be busy and that you should do everything perfectly and you kind of get pulled into all of that, it strips any of the joy or meaning of why you did it in the first place. And I think almost just seeing that and thinking, you know, this is not how I, this isn't why I did it is, is, is a big part of that. But also seeing how hard it is when you've got all these voices shouting around you of how it should be. If anyone is listening to our conversation and like me shaking their head and going, oh my God, that sounds like me. That's totally me. Where, where can they go? Um, you know, where can they find your book? You mentioned a TED Talk. Like what resources do you have that they could tap into that you could recommend? Um, well, my TED talk is um, called Adventure of a Lifetime, and it's it's actually about the things we've just been talking about in the last mm-hmm. part of the podcast. And in, it was kind of my own realization of how important it was to slow down and kind of appreciate where I was, and also make time for the natural highs of life. Like it gives you joy and pleasure, and I think those so often get squeezed out when you're working really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my website's drjessamay.com and my Instagram is at drjessamay. Great. And then your book is available yeah, both in hard copy and also an audiobook. Yeah. Or? yeah, that's right. And um, it's called The Imposter Cure. And um, yeah, it's available from all bookshops really and online. Fantastic. Well, what I'll do is I'll link to all of those in the show notes so that people can check out your work and um, get some resources and support if they are suffering from imposter syndrome. Now, um, what I would, what I always do before I end the podcast is I ask my um, interviewees or my, my uh, guests to share their most favorite thing to eat their most favorite thing to capture with their cameras and their most favorite thing to share they can quote a message anything that you want to so i'd love to hear your your response to that um well i'm definitely somebody who has a sweet tooth and so (laughs) my favorite thing to eat is my husband's cakes he's a really good baker and um since having kids we kind of have a family tradition around choosing a birthday cake and then Jack my husband makes it and our most recent one it was my daughter's eighth birthday um in September he chose a Kit Kat cake so it's like one of a long line of 
bake off standard cakes that we all get to enjoy but it's also like a really nice tradition too i my most favorite thing to catch if you look on my photos um is the kids mm. so that's what fills my photo stream and um yeah lots and lots of photos of my children so not terribly artistic or, or, <laughs> or kind of <laughs> quite predictable i suppose and then yeah for share i think i was thinking about this and for me sharing stories is something that's just so important in my work but i also think that just in life sharing stories is really important because it's a way for us to make sense of what's going on in our lives it's a really lovely way to kind of share history and special moments and to kind of find ways to carry them forward but it's also a way to share difficulties and the things mm -hmm. that are hard in our lives as a way to connect us to other people and to get that support and i think sometimes we underestimate that kind of story element and how much that is kind of key to key to our lives I think you know and back over history if you think about how stories are shared and told so for me that's something that is, is really important amazing thank you so much it's been so wonderful and so really um, kind of nourishing <laughs> to speak to you uh, today so I want to thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us all it's a pleasure I really enjoyed talking to you too so thank you for having me and thank you for your brilliant questions as always, everything and anything mentioned in this podcast episode will be linked to in the show notes, including your best year yet, Power Hour Dr. Jessamy's book, The Imposter Cure, which I can highly recommend. Also, that pre-registration for the next and for now final Instagram food photography challenge. I'll also link to a diary that I use that has a section, a daily section on for gratitude practice. I will link to that in the show notes as well. I've mentioned it before in the last podcast episode and link to it there, but I'll link to it again. It's an affiliate link, but I can honestly wholeheartedly recommend it. I used it this year and I've already bought my next one to lead and guide me into 2022. So yes, I can totally, totally recommend it. It's been transformative. Now I can assure you I will be back next week. I'm not sure if the episode's going to come out Monday or Wednesday, but it will be an episode on pricing, I believe is the next one. And thereafter, there's two interview-based episodes. So yeah, super, super lovely second part of this season. And yes, can't wait to have you tune in again next week. See you then. Before I leave you, I wanted to say thank you so, so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. I also wanted to let you know that this podcast was brought to you by my Eat, Capture, Share newsletter community, and I'd love for you to join. I will pop the details on how you can join my creative community in the show notes, so do go and check it out. Also, if you enjoy the podcast, it means so much if you can rate, review, and subscribe. All those things will help the podcast to grow and to reach the right audience. And yeah, you'd kind of make my day. All right, see you soon. Take care.